Section 12 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Chief Mate by James Russell Lowell. My first glimpse of Europe was the shore of Spain. Since we got into the Mediterranean, we have been becalmed for some days within easy view of it. All along are fine mountains, brown all day and with a bloom on them at sunset, like that of a ripe plum. Here and there at their feet, little white towns are sprinkled along the edge of the water, like the grains of rice dropped by the princess in the story. Sometimes we see larger buildings on the mountain slopes, probably convents. I sit and wonder whether the farther peaks may not be the Sierra Morena, the rusty saw of Don Quixote. I resolve that they shall be, and I am content. Surely latitude and longitude never showed me any particular respect that I should be over-scrupulous with them. But after all, nature, though she may be more beautiful, is nowhere so entertaining as in man, and the best thing I have seen and learned at sea is our chief mate. My first acquaintance with him was made over my knife, which he asked to look at, and after a critical examination, handed back to me, saying, I shouldn't wonder if that air was a good piece of stuff. Since then he has transferred a part of his regard for my knife to its owner. I like folks who like an honest bit of steel, and take no interest whatever in your Raphaels, Correggios, and stuff. There's always more than the average human nature in the man who has a hearty sympathy with iron. It is a manly metal, with no sordid associations like gold and silver. My sailor fully came up to my expectation on further acquaintance. He might well be called an old salt, who had been wrecked on Spitzbergen before I was born. He was not an American, but I should never have guessed it by his speech, which was the purest Cape Cod, and I reckoned myself a good taster of dialects. Nor was he less Americanized in all his thoughts and feelings, a singular proof of the ease with which our omnivorous country assimilates foreign matter, provided it be Protestant, for he was a man ere he became an American citizen. He used to walk the deck with his hands in his pockets, in seeming abstraction, but nothing escaped his eyes. How he saw I could never make out, though I had a theory that it was with his elbows. After he had taken me, or my knife, into his confidence, he took care that I should see whatever he deemed of interest to a landsman. Without looking up, he would say suddenly, There's a whale blowing clearin' up to winnard, or them's porpoises to lured, that means change of wind. He is as impervious to cold as a polar bear, and paces the deck during his watch, much as one of those yellow hummocks goes slumping up and down his cage. On the Atlantic, if the wind blew a gale from the northeast, 
and it was cold as an English summer, he was sure to turn out in a calico shirt and trousers, his furzy brown chest half bare, and slippers without stockings. But lest you might fancy this to have chanced by defect of wardrobe, he comes out in a monstrous pea-jacket here in the Mediterranean, when the evening is so hot that Adam would have been glad to leave off his fig-leaves. It's a kind of damp and unwholesome in these ere waters, he says, evidently regarding the Midland Sea as a vile standing pool in comparison with the bluff ocean. At meals he is superb, not only for his strengths, but his weaknesses. He has somehow or other come to think me a wag, and, if I ask him to pass the butter, detects an occult joke, and laughs as much as is proper for a mate. For you must know that our social hierarchy on shipboard is precise, and the second mate, were he present, would only laugh half as much as the first. Mr. X always combs his hair, and works himself into a black frock coat. On Sundays he adds a waistcoat, before he comes to meals, sacrificing himself nobly and painfully to the social proprieties. The second mate, on the other hand, who eats after us, enjoys the privilege of shirt-sleeves, and is, I think, the happier man of the two. We do not have seats above and below the salt, as in old time, but above and below the white sugar. Mr. X always takes brown sugar, and it is delightful to see how he ignores the existence of certain delicates which he considers above his grade, tipping his head on one side with an air of abstraction, so that he may seem not to deny himself, but to omit helping himself from inadvertence or absence of mind. At such times he wrinkles his forehead in a peculiar manner, inscrutable at first as a cuneiform inscription, but as easily read after you once get the key. The sense of it is something like this. I, X, know my place, a height of wisdom attained by few. Whatever you may think, I do not see that currant jelly or that preserved grape. It is specially a kind providence has made me blind to bowls of white sugar and deaf to the pop of champagne corks. It is much that a merciful compensation gives me a sense of the dingier hue of Havana and the muddier gurgle of beer. Are there potted meats? My physician has ordered me three pounds of minced salt junk at every meal. There is such a thing, you know, as a ship's husband. X is the ship's poor relation. As I have said, he takes also a below-the-white-sugar interest in the jokes, laughing by precise point of compass, just as he would lay the ship's course, all yawing being out of the question with his scrupulous decorum at the helm. Once or twice I have got the better of him and touched him off into a kind of compromised explosion, like that of damp fireworks that splutter and simmer a little and then go out with painful slowness and occasional relapses. But his fuse is always of the unwillingness 
and you must blow your match and touch him off again and again with the same joke or rather you must magnetize him many times to get him in rapport with a jest this once accomplished you have him and one bit of fun will last the whole voyage he prefers those of one syllable the ab abs of humor the gradual fattening of the steward a benevolent mulatto with whiskers and earrings who looks as if he had been meant for a woman but had become a man by accident as in some of those stories by the elder physiologists is an abiding topic of humorous comment with mr x that ere steward he says with a brown grin like what you might fancy on the face of a serious and aged seal so gettin as fat's a porpoise he was as thin's a shingle when he come aboard last voyage them trousers'll bust yet he don't darst take him off nights for the whole ship's company couldn't get him into em again and then he turns aside to enjoy the intensity of his emotion by himself and you hear at intervals low rumblings an indigestion of laughter he tells me of st elmo's fires marvell's corposants though with him the original corpos santos has suffered a sea change and turned to come pleasance pledges of fine weather i shall not soon find a pleasanter companion it is so delightful to meet a man who knows just what you do not nay i think the tired mind finds something in plump ignorance like what the body feels in cushiony moss talk of the sympathy of kindred pursuits it is the sympathy of the upper and nether millstones both forever grinding the same grist and wearing each other smooth one has not far to seek for book nature artist nature every variety of superinduced nature in short but genuine human nature is hard to find and how good it is wholesome as a potato fit company for any dish the freemasonry of cultivated men is agreeable but artificial and i like better the natural grip with which manhood recognizes manhood x has one good story and with that i leave him wishing him with all my heart that little inland farm at last which is his calenture as he paces the windy deck one evening when the clouds look wild and whirling i asked x if it was coming on to blow no i guess not said he bum by the moon'll be up and scoff away that ear loose stuff his intonation set the phrase scoff away in quotation marks as plain as print so i put a query in each eye and he went on there was a dutch cap'n once and his mate come to him in the cabin where he sot taking his schnapps and says cap'n it's a gettin thick and looks kind of squally hadn't we's a good shortened sail gimme my almanac says the cap'n so he looks at it a spell and says he the moon's due in less than half an hour 
and she'll scoff away everything clare again so the mate he goes and boom by down he comes again and says cap'n this here's the all-fartest powerfulest moon to ever you did see she scoffed away the main to gallant sail and she's to work on the foretopsail now guess you'd better look at the almanac again and find out when this moon sets so the cap'n thought twas about time to go on deck dreadful slow them dutch cap'ns be and x walked away rumbling inwardly like the rote of the sea heard afar end of the chief mate by james russell lowell recording by bill mosley bernardo texas u s a